Hi, I'm Anna McEwen, and this is The Epic Narrative. And now, my dad, Bob Switzer. All right. I think I got a little preachy on that last one. Because that chapter is, uh, with, with Saul's crazy night, is really full of opportunity for just so many details the 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 sneaking out uh from the camp the walk through the dark the the introduction to the witch you know going into her home being um i'm sure you know the conversations were general and um platitudes were exchanged and you know that whole that whole scene of like well what what do you want he's like well there's one specific person I want to talk to I'd like you to you know call him up from the dead and she's like well technically this is illegal and I don't know you so this could be a trap and he's like no no I promise you won't be you know we're not going to turn you in we're not going to this is not entrapment I just really need to speak with Samuel so there's there's all of this uh yeah there's just a lot of really awesome things to to interact with in that chapter. I'm not going to go back to it. I just want you to know um, in thinking about it, I, I don't necessarily feel bad. I just went with where, where it took me, but uh, I, I hope you enjoyed it anyway. Um, and now we'll, you know, we'll continue the story. We'll continue the story. Oh, another thing though that I did want to bring up from the last chapter is they all went home, right? David, David, um, no, that's not that's not it. Oh, that's that. Oh, yeah. So Saul goes back home, but Saul, there was never um, there was never any repentance, right? Saul is defeated. He's depressed. He's surrounded by fear, but he never called out to the Lord. Even though he called, like he called out to Samuel, but he didn't call out to the Lord. It's almost that that mindset, that dualistic mindset that says, "Well, God is out there." I can't get to him. Like I, I have decided that I've done the type of, I've made the type of choices that have separated me from God. Therefore, I can't get there from here. And he talks to Samuel, and Samuel's basic response is, "Listen, these are choices you've made. You can, you can make other choices. You can make different choices and talk to God. Like I don't know why you're talking to me. You already know how to get to Him." And Saul just just collapses in fear and and because he knows the results. Samuel reminds him of the results. Listen, your choices have brought you to a place where you're going to end up being defeated by the Philistines. There's really nothing I can do about that. These are your choices, and you know how to get right with God. Like the make that choice. And and Samuel uh, Saul just freaks out, right, and 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 gets depressed, and and ultimately he has some you know, some food. And then he goes back to the, the men with the two guys that were guarding him. And they, they, I mean, they all ate together with the witch. And it's, it's, it's a great chapter. It's really great. It's really great to tear it apart. Just the whole culture that where she was working, but it was illegal and, and everybody knew her and there were probably others. And, and that kind of stuff happens. Um, you know, drugs are illegal, but there's drug dealers and if you really want them, you can find them, even though technically you're not allowed. They're not allowed. You can't you can't sell that stuff. 
So it's kind of kind of like that sort of mentality, I think, when it came to witches. It's like, yeah, it's illegal, but it's legit. Like, we know what we're doing. And that's the part that I find fascinating as well. This was a legitimate job. People, people knew she was a witch. They knew she could call up the dead. Even she knew she could call up the dead. And when she saw Samuel, I think Samuel is the one who said, hey, Ask Saul what he wants, and she's like, oh, my gosh. Like, she freaked out, not because Samuel showed up, but because she realized it was the king in front of her who had made her job illegal. It would be kind of like the, you know, the, the police chief comes in to the drug dealer, and he needs something really specific, and the drug dealer gets it, but in getting it, he realizes this is the police chief, and he freaks out because he, he figures it's, he's busted, right? He's going down. And uh, he gets really, you know, he gets really angry and says, you're a liar and deceiver. And what have you done? And and the police chief is like, no, 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 I'm not going to arrest you. Everything's going to be fine. All right. All right. Um, um, where, where am I? Philistines. Here we go. Okay. I know I said here we go and then I pushed pause because I got a bunch of text messages and now now I'm ready to go now I'm ready to go okay so the Philistines are all gathering their forces they're encamping all over the place and Israel's camping over by their little spring in Jezreel and everything's coming together this is all taking place uh, you know while Saul is burying himself in fear. And the Philistine rulers march in with their units of hundreds and thousands. So they're all, this is all pomp and circumstance. All the general um, foot soldiers that are going to be destroyed, you know, the, 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 first, the first round of defense, the people who are going to go down quickly, they're all out, they're already camping, they're already all out there doing their thing, getting all rived up. And now the commanders are, are the, the, remember the, the, the rulers, Philistines had five rulers. One of them was considered their king, but they all were rulers. They ruled together. There was a governing body. One king, he had the final say, the biggest vote. They now, how does how does uh, some people say it? In everyone has an equal voice, but not everybody's voice has equal weight. Something along that line. So that's kind of kind of the way the Philistines ran things. So in comes Akish. He's at the end because he's the king. So he's the last guy in. And along with him, marching along with him, is David and his men, which were 600 of the, uh, you know, of who knows how many thousands were with him. And the commanders of the Philistines, the other, the other governors, so to speak, uh, whatever you want to call them, presidents. They're looking and they see these Hebrews. Now, I don't know what they were wearing. I don't know if they were dressed differently. I don't know if they had a different banner, you know, over their section of the of the march. But it was obvious who they were. They were Hebrews. They were not Philistines. They were not they were not nationally, uh, ethnically pure. They weren't pure bloods. Everybody could tell. So Kish. When it says, what about these Hebrews? It's not just that they said it out loud. It's that they, this is in a meeting. They're, they're, they're in a council, the five of them. 
are sitting in council and they look at at a kish and they, and they say, hey, what's what's going on? What's going on with the Hebrews? Why are they with us? And Akish says, is this not David, who was an officer of Saul, king of Israel? His, his question is, listen, it's, is this not like the one guy who we know we could never defeat, who used to work for our enemy, and now he works for me? You guys remember him, right? And this, this again, is not out of the question. Many times, capturing generals from the from your enemy and bringing them back as prisoners, um, re, you know, redistributing their loyalty, putting them to work for you, putting them out on the front lines, letting them be the ones who die first. Like this is not uh, out of out of a the blue concept that David would be marching with the Philistines. My gut is there's other foreign nationals that are that are part of the army that other other governors have have trusted but this is david this is david and akish says this is david and and he's he's been with me for over a year probably about a year and a half and from the day he left saul until now i have found no fault in him now the fact that he found no fault in him would mean that he recounted to the governors Testimony after testimony of David's raids into Israel, David's raids into Judah, the way that David had become a stench to everyone in, in Israel, and nobody would want him back. The, the, I'm sure Akish, Akish was, was making it very clear, abundantly clear, that he was, he was good friends with David. David was a loyal ally, and all of his men would fight, you know, as valiant warriors for the great nation of the Philistines. Ah, the Philistine commanders, they're all listening. And Akish is getting quite passionate because as he's looking out at the crowd, they're not looking happy. They look angry. And uh, they are not... You could you could tell you could tell like they're not shaking their head yes yes they're not getting excited by the by the testimonies as he's explaining why there is no fault in David and this is where I think they're looking they're they're not looking but they're recounting in their minds over the last year and a half have we heard of any raids in Israel that didn't come from us have we heard any scuttlebutt any gossip, any rumors? Has any of our scouts ever found a village that had been destroyed and nobody knew, you know, who had done it? Because it, as far as we knew, it wasn't us. It must have been, must have been David. I really think this is this is what's going on because of their response. He gets Akish does, gets all done explaining why there's no fault in David, and they say, send the man back that he may return to the palace you assigned him. He must not go with us into battle, or he will turn against us and, re, and during the fighting. Wow. That had to be devastating for Kish to hear. Because he was, he was convinced, him, I mean, he was convinced himself that David was trustworthy, 
that he was somebody who would never be disloyal to them because there was nowhere else for David to go. And when he was all done, his the guys he was speaking to, the other governors, the commanders, they were they were angry. They were angry at Akish for falling for this. They were angry at at Akish for giving uh, sanctuary to David. They were angry at him for for not consulting them. I honestly think some of that was was that there as well. That Akish should have consulted him. Should have at least let them know. Listen, I have this. I have David. The former commander of of uh, of Saul, I have him in my you know under my thumb. I have him under my command. He's working for me now. He's going to fight our our battles. It kind of makes me think some of them didn't know what David was doing. They didn't. They had you know that I don't know. I don't know if they knew that it was David that Kish was talking about when he was talking about. How you know raids had been sent out and and Israel was reeling in defeat. Maybe he was going to surprise the uh, all the commanders with with David. I I really believe he believed that they were going to be thrilled. It's it's uh, kind of like an owner of a football team working out a trade deal without telling the coaches, and the next thing they know, in theory, some some you know star. Lineman, star wide receiver, is now on their team, but but in doing so, they you know they lost several players, or they they had to pay a ton of money, and the coach feels a little uh, a little miffed, a little left out of the loop. Other coaches and and general managers are concerned that they weren't a part of the discussion, and the owner thinks, hey, I made a fabulous decision. I had an opportunity to go get this guy, and I went and got him. You guys figure out what to do with them. I I kind of think it might have felt a little bit like that in this in this room where all the commanders were hanging out. And then they say we send him back because if you don't, he he's going to get into battle. He's going to turn against us. How much better would it be for him to regain his master's favor than by taking the heads of our own men? Now they they have a point. Like Akish's whole point is he David has has been fighting for us for the last year and a half, which he wasn't because David was lying. But but his whole point was he's been fighting for us, so everybody in Israel hates him. And the Philistine commanders are like, yeah, well, think about it this way. He doesn't belong here. He's never belonged here. He's a national hero over there. If they don't like him now, they will if he turns on us. They will if in the middle of the battle, he, him and his 600 men, who will literally be in the middle of our men, start killing us. Who's going to turn against them? Now, you know, suddenly we'll have a multi-front war going on. Isn't this David, the one that they sang their, their songs and had dances about this, Saul? You know, he's killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. This is a song that the Philistines know. That's how popular it was. That's how convinced everybody was that David was that amazing of a warrior. His his military strategies were unparalleled in the, in the nation. So Akish calls David in and he says to him, David, you have been an amazing man. 
you have been outstanding in everything. But I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you because the men who I work with and who technically I oversee, but if they go against me like I'm dead, those men don't want you with us. Now, this had to come as, as kind of a shock, right? Because as far as David knows, he's he's with Akish. He's literally given a place in Kish's command at the royal table, in the in the you know, the consult, the advisory committee of the military forces. He's expecting to in essence be part of this nation. I I don't I'm not sure like internally what David must have been going through when he stepped into this. He he really must have thought it's over. Like my my call to be king of Israel is over. I'm literally now fighting alongside the royal leadership of the Philistines. My men will be killing their brothers and sisters on the other side of this border. And Akish looks at David and he, you know, he says to him, as, as surely as your Lord lives, you have been reliable. And I would have loved to have you here serve in the army with me. I have found no fault in you. From the day you came to me until today, you've never, you've never shown any fault. In other words, you've never lied to me. You never deceived me. You've never disappointed me. You've always been an upstanding guy to me. I mean, David had to be thinking, oh, that's not true. But thanks. He said, but the rulers don't approve of you. Now turn back, go in peace. Don't do anything to upset them because I could have a whole nother political issue going on if you turn around and do something crazy. And rather than just, you know, stand up and leave, David gives up, a, David gives a little bit of a fight. I, I kind of wonder if this was like a legitimate fight or if it was a political one, like he says, wait, what have I done? What have you found against me, your servant, from the day I came until now? Why, why, why can't I go fight against the enemies of you, my king? Wow. Now, did David really feel that way? Because to me, there's two ways to go about this. David looks at the king. He realizes, all right, I'm off the hook. Or he, or he looks at the king and he thinks, I'm being rejected again. Saul rejected me. I did everything I could for Saul, and Saul rejected me. And I've, at least this guy thinks, I've done everything I could to, to, to find favor in his eyes, and now I'm being rejected again. Is he thinking to himself, this is the beginning in which of the end for me? Because the commanders, if they win this battle, which maybe, you know, David's already given them some strategies. And he thinks if they win this battle and I'm not a part of it, then I'm on the outs. My 600 men and the, the village that we have, like we could be down 
down and out again. We could be sent home, sent out, sent away. Where would we go? I don't, I don't know. Like I, 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 I you pick, <laughs> use your own imagination. Which way did this, which way was David saying this? Why can't I go fight against the enemies of, of my king? And Akish says, I know, I know, I know. Listen, you've been nothing like it. You've been nothing but an angel to me. Nothing but truthful, honest. You've been nothing but a, but a blessing, a light, a favor, whatever you want to call it. It's, there's just loaded. That, that phrasing is loaded with positivity. But he says, None, nevertheless, the Philistine commanders have said he must not go up into battle with us. Now get up early along with your master's servant who have come with you and leave in the morning as soon as it is light. So David had traveled three days to get there, and I'm sure he traveled in in great company because he's right alongside Akish. Akish has made him captain of the bodyguard. He's he's put him in charge forever to be over you know overseeing uh Akish's uh, safety and his well-being. So he's he's right there in the royal court. Uh his men are right there right next to the the royal chariot or cart or however Akish travels. David and his men are all around him protecting him. David has has favor, he has blessing, he has connection and for 3 days they travel there. And then there's the big group meeting, and that goes on longer than David expected. But he fully expects Akish to come back to the to the group and to be part of, uh, you know, David expects to be invited in and be told what the commanders are thinking, and then David would give them better strategies because that's what David does, and he's pretty excited by that. He probably already has several plans in mind. He reminds me sometimes of like, I mean, he's an artist, but he's also very much like an entrepreneur, like, Give me a problem, I solve it. Creative problem, creative problem solving, and and always remember that creativity is a is a form of the word wisdom. It's part of the way that God speaks. When He speaks of wisdom, He speaks about problem solving skills. This is something David has out the wazoo. He's expecting a kish to come, bring him into a session, and David would then solve military strategic problems. So the you know the dust is blowing the the sun is up and the sand is there and the men are camping and they're settling in and they're getting food and water and and there's there's other com- lower lesser commanders of the army of Kish that are settling in around them and maybe they're making friends maybe they're making connections they're talking about the marketplace they're talking about their village they're talking about their wives or kids the same thing most army guys talk about days this is days before the battle and so Akish comes back from the from the group meeting, and he calls in David. He's like, uh, Dave, I need to talk to you. And David's, David's not surprised by this. He fully expected to be called into a special meeting with Akish, the king. And then, and then the meeting takes this crazy turn as far as David's concerned. He did not see this coming. David, you're fired. What do you mean I'm fired? Nobody out there likes you. I like you. I like you fine. I think you're pretty awesome. I heck, I hired you. I brought you in. I put you at the board the, the board table. I I think you're amazing. I've known you for a year and a half. You've done nothing but good stuff for me. But every other president in the company wants you out. None of them trust you. So rather than put you in a in a no win situation 
where they could turn against you, I'm going to send you home. Now, get yourself some food, tell your men, eat up, sleep up, but when dawn comes, when the morning comes, I want you gone. You need to go. Wow. What a session. I have a feeling a few of David's uh, mighty men uh, were sitting there, maybe Abishai from the from the previous uh, podcast, a couple podcasts ago. Maybe maybe he's there. I don't know. A couple guys waiting outside with and then David comes out and they're like, So, what's our what's our assignment? Like where are we going? And David just just looks dumbfounded, shaking his head, and he probably says something like, Nah, pack your bags, boys. What? What do you mean? What happened in there? Ah, we're going home. But we just got here. I know. Who's going home? All of us. All of us are going home. All 600. What, they don't want us? I mean, I just I just think the, the rage, internal rage of so many of these Hebrews that felt uh, like they were second-rate citizens to begin with. And the... And, and I imagine that the other army dudes that were surrounding their particular encampment, when they heard that they were leaving and saw that they were packing things up, they probably were shouting some insults at them because that's what boys do. They try to pick a fight. I have a feeling there were a few fights that were picked that night, a few fights that were, that were at least verbally uh, fought in the morning on their way out. And they walk. They walk home for three days. And David feels, you know, rejected. He's rejected by his own people. He's rejected by his, by the enemy leadership. Now, he was deceiving the Philistines. He was trying to fit into this new nation. And I have a, I have a sense he was feeling a little lost and a little alone. For three days, walking back to Ziglag, he was he was pretty low. He'd been lying for a year and a half, year and four months, if if you want to be specific for some people. He'd been lying, lying to himself, lying to others. I I get a, I, I just think you know, in all the nights that would be, that music would be playing in Ziglag. He you know I'm sure he danced and partied and laughed, but on the nights where there was worship. I have a I have a sense there were a few nights where David, you know, stood in the back. Or maybe they, you know, because he's David, they'd they'd move him up front and David would smile and bounce, you know, bounce a little bit and nod his head and and laugh. And then, you know, he would he would do something spiritual like like just go on his knees and bow down. And nobody would bother him that way, because they'd be like, Ooh, David's having a moment with God. And they'd dance around him and and worship God around him, but David, David struggled. And now for three days, he's walking back through the desert. Now, I don't know if they had a whole lot to eat along the way. I, I kind of think they didn't. They probably had enough food to get them to the encampment. And then the idea is once you're there, raiding parties would bring you more food until the, until the battle begins. And then after the battle, it's all about pillaging the spoils of the of the other side. And David alone, rejected, knowing that he's he's 
turned into a liar. And that's why I think he feels lost. Like, where do I go? Where do I go? My people reject me. God rejects me. Where do I go? So they walk three days. They get back to Ziglag. And they find that it was destroyed. Can you imagine? I mean, none of these guys are feeling great about what they had just done, right? None of them. They all feel rejected. They all feel belittled. They all they all have negative emotional experiences going on. Second rate, uh, mocked. They don't know what's going on. You know, oh, man. Maybe some of them feel lost. Like I was a refugee. David took me in. He gave me purpose and direction. And now, now we got nothing. But at least we have our, our town. At least I have my family. At least I have my home. And they, they come around the corner and something don't look right. And they start running a little faster. And they get closer to the city. And it's devastated by fire. Devastated by fire. The roofs are gone. The, 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 the cattle pens are gone. The corrals are gone. Burned, destroyed. Various grain markets are just turned over. Most stuff has just disappeared. It's been pillaged down to the last thing and then set afire. It wasn't like they lit it on fire and grabbed a few things. They literally emptied the city and then burned it. They can't find any bodies. Everybody was taken captive. So one level, you're right, you run to your home, which is mostly destroyed. You're looking for bodies. You're looking for your kids. You're looking for your wife. You're looking for a, a servant, uh, anything, anybody, anywhere. And you're not finding anything anywhere. So then you're putting it together in your head, and you go back out on the street, and, and you see your friend. You're like, did you find anybody? He's like, no. Did you? Did you? Did you? I can't believe we, I can't believe we lost everything. Are you telling me? That somebody came and stole everything, including our wives and children. And then they burned our city down. It says David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength. It wasn't, they didn't get angry. They were overwhelmed. They were so overwhelmed. They were, I, I think it's because they were so lost at this point. They felt so forgotten by God. It's not that God had forgot them or that God had disappeared. They just they just felt it. And they collapsed into, into tears. They had no strength left. That's why I don't think they had food really for the journey. They ate up at the, at the camp three days ago, and then their hope was to get to Ziglag and have a meal. David, it says, was greatly distressed. For two reasons. Both his wives were gone. And his men were talking about killing him. Each one was bitter in their spirit. Because they had lost their sons and their daughters. And their wives. They lost. And they looked around. And it was like there's only one reason why we're here. It's because we followed that guy. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him. We we may not have a city, but at least we'd still be in our part of the country. We wouldn't have been raided by who knows what. I'm guessing they probably thought these the, the town had been destroyed by the Philistines. 
they probably thought everything had been taken by the Philistines because of the way that they were rejected by the by the commanders in the army. All the commanders in the army hate them. They probably sent raiders here to this village while we were there. They probably knew that they were going to reject us. I mean, they had all kinds of conspiracy theories. But it all came back to David. David was the leader. David was their leader. And they were the victim of David's decisions. So some of them wanted to kill him. And it says, but David found strength in the Lord his God. This is the first time that we see David going to God for a while in the story. I don't know how many podcasts ago this was, but it's been a while since he's gone to the Lord, since he's consulted God. I have a, I have a belief that because of what I've read about the way stories are written, that if this was a regular occurrence in David's life at this time, we would have seen it. But the reason why it's this bullet point is put into the narrative of Scripture is because it was unique. It stood out. It stood out because it hadn't happened in a while. David found strength in the Lord his God. He knew the guys were going to were, were looking to kill him. And maybe they, they gave him some sanctuary in his home. But they were waiting. So David sits down, lays down. I don't know if he found a lair somewhere, if he found a, uh, a shaker of some sort. Maybe David starts to sing. Whatever he did, he found strength in the Lord his God. He strengthened himself is another way of putting it. David strengthened himself in the Lord. He probably reviewed testimony from way back. He might have even started way back with his mom and the way that his mom instructed him on how to connect to heaven and 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 some of the amazing, amazing times that he had with the Lord in the spirit realm when he was out in the fields with the with the sheep and with other shepherds he he started to to rehearse in his mind the way that the lord had directed his path and the way that god's goodness was even with him now even though it looked like his path had come to an end this is where he started to rehearse these things and started to deeply believe that god could make a way where there was no way he was that good of a shepherd David remembered times as a, as a shepherd that he would would get himself boxed in or get the, the sheep would kind of run into a spot and be like, okay, now where are we going to go? And David would find a way. He's like, God, you can find a way out of this. You can lead me out of this. He, he submits himself to the Lord's presence. It's not that the, he had a call on God until God showed up. He didn't have to perform in such a way that God would feel bad for him to come see him. He just made he made the effort to, to bring himself into an awareness of God's presence and direction. And so he found strength. He strengthened himself in the Lord. And then David calls for Abathar, the, the priest. And he's like, okay, bring me the ephod. And Abathar brings it. He's probably excited. He's probably like, yes, David's calling on God. This is amazing. David says to the Lord, yes or no? Do I pursue the writing party? Yes. Will I overtake them? Yes. You will overtake them and succeed in the rescue. This was this was like this was like amazing. David had lost so much earlier in the story. He lost respect, he lost position, he lost another you know in essence a 
a new country and a new nation. He lost he lost his village, he lost his wife, he lost his other wife. This is huge. Now David's going to start to gain back what he lost. So David, I think I think the men that wanted to kill him were were starting to mill outside like a mob. And a few, you know, it was getting bigger, but some of the outskirts of the mob was like, well, we might not want to kill him, but we want to at least give him a good punch in the face. Maybe we'll kick him while he's down. And then there was even more on the, you know, on the further edge that were like, well, we're not going to do anything, but I kind of want to see what happens. And they hear David call for Abathar, and Abathar goes in, and they're like, oh, well, he's got the priest in there. We can't go now. Like, Abathar hasn't done anything. So they're waiting. And they don't know who's going to come out first, the priest or David. I think David does. He comes out, and he says, "Uh, let's go. What do you mean? We're going after them, and we are going to take them, and we are going to get back everything we lost. I don't know. I, I don't know. The, the whole atmosphere shifted. It was, I think, the first time in over a year that they saw their their David. They saw their commander. They saw somebody who wasn't going to go do something to deceive someone. He wasn't a deceiver. He was. He had hope. He had purpose. He had connection to heaven. He had connection to his identity. He had gone to the to you know that internal place where God resided, where he understood the spirit of God, where he connected to heaven, and he had found purpose and identity. He was like, this is who I am. I'm a leader of men. I'm a pursuer of those who have been who have been captured. I restore and revive people back into relationship. This is who God is. This is who God made me to be. And he's like, we're going to take them. I just picture all the men like cheering and they all run for their horses and their mules. And the 600 men took off. They emptied the village like nobody stayed behind. And as they're riding, they're getting more and more excited. They're getting they're getting excited because they have hope. They're getting excited because relationship with God has been restored. David is excited. He inspires them. We're talking probably another three days on the road so that the hope just keeps growing. It's not depleting. It's getting bigger. The, the concept of relationship being restored, of, of their connection to God being restored. David can't help but talk about how excited he is. They're out there and they're pursuing. And it says that, that 200 of them got to a point where they were so exhausted they to cross the valley, but David and the other 400 continued. Why did they, you know, what, what, what happened there? Well, later we find out that 200 men that were too exhausted had, had been left behind with supplies. David was like, we need to go faster. Let's leave everything here behind and let's go even faster. So that's what the 200 men guarded. They guarded all the belongings, all the, whatever food they had. Whatever, you know, whatever clothing they might have had with them from the previous journey, right? Whatever suitcases they brought, they left it all there. The 200 men guarded it. 
And as they're they're hot on the trail, they don't know really where they're going. They just they're just headed somewhere. They found an Egyptian in a field. Who's they? Somebody, somebody riding out there. Listen, these 400 guys don't like I said. They don't know where they're going. There's 400 men. It's not like they're all in a row. They're kind of spread out all over. They're looking for a trail. They're looking for some evidence. They're looking for some shepherd, somebody who might be able to tell them something, somebody from the marketplace, a farmer. Does anybody, has anybody seen anything? And one of them finds an Egyptian. And the man is basically dead. So they give him a little food and a little cake of pressed figs and a couple cakes of raisins. And he ate them all, and slowly he started to come back. He was he was revived. For he hadn't eaten any food or had any water for three days and three nights. That's three days without water, dude. You're in deep trouble, and and you're going, yeah. That's just that's just trouble. So they bring him to David. David says, "All right, where? Who do you belong to, and where do you come from?" He says, "I'm an Egyptian, the slave of a of an Amalekite. My master abandoned me when." When I became th- ill three days ago, we raided here, we raided there, some territories in Judah, some Caleb, and we burned Ziglag. <gasps> you burned Ziglag? Yes. So you're an Egyptian. You were you were stolen, and you became a slave of a, of an Amalekite. The the raiding party. Yeah, yeah, that's me. All right, and they got rid of you. Why? Because you got. I got sick. Basically, I was of no use. They didn't want to drag me around anymore, so they left me in the desert to die. And then your men found me, and they gave me some water and some food, and and I'm grateful. David says, "All right, look at me. Swear to me before God that you will not." Uh, oh, yeah, no, no, sorry. David says, "Can you lead me? Can you show me where they went? Can you?" Point us in the right direction. And he is so excited to be alive and so grateful. He's like, listen, if you swear to me before your God that you will not kill me or hand me back over to them, I will take you to them. I know exactly where they're going. So David, uh, David took that, David took that deal. He's like, let's go. We are not, we won't, we won't kill you. We won't turn you back over. You're with us now. So he leads David down. They were all scattered around the countryside, eating and drinking. They had so much plunder that they had basically said, here's a great big track of land. Everybody pick a spot and let's party for a while because we're, we're this has been hugely successful. Why was it so successful? Well, because the nation of Israel and the nation of the Philistines, everybody had gathered for war. These, were, these guys were just taking advantage of the situation. They were raiders, and they knew when to raid. They heard that there was a huge battle going on, and they said, this is great. This means the villages will be empty of men. It'll be, it'll be empty of warriors. It means it'll be easy to take the women and children and all the goods with us. They had done a spectacular job of doing what it is they came to do. Well, David, uh, David did not put together much of a strategy. The 400 men that were with him just took off after these guys, and they fought them from evening until evening the next day. That would be 
mm, 24 hours. And none of them got away. Except maybe 400 young men who rode off on camels. And <laughs> So this was a raiding party of over 400 men. It was probably at least double that. It might have actually been closer to 1,000 men. So it wasn't like a raiding party of 12 guys who come into a little village and, and kick women and children in the face and steal their stuff. This was like a legit force that was that was raining down on small cities and villages and they would they had enough men that they were going to take everything of value everything and then they'd burn what the, burn what was left so these guys had a lot of stuff and then it says david recovered everything the amalekites had taken including his two wives Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder, anything they had taken. And David brought everything back. He took all the flocks, all the herds, and his men drove them ahead of them with the other livestock. This saying, all of this belongs to David. So he not only he not only picked up everything he left in Ziglag, he picked up everything these guys had ever stolen. So he's got probably thousands of, of heads of livestock, cattle, sheep, goats, He's got hundreds of extra everything, clothing, wheat, barley, corn, uh, wine. Uh, he's got, he's got, uh, uh, um, what other, oh, gold, silver, jewelry. He's got all this stuff from a raiding party of probably close to a thousand, if not more. And his 400 men are dragging all this stuff back. And when he when they get back about a day later, they get to that place where the 200 men have been left behind. He says, you know, he says, how are you guys? And all the, it says the evil men and troublemakers on David's followers, which, which goes to a point like not everybody, although everybody appreciated David's Leadership, they didn't always agree with them. They didn't always get along. And I kind of think that these troublemakers are the same ones that wanted to kill David earlier. They're like, they're feeling justified. Okay, David, David had smoothed things over because they were so rich now. They had so much plunder. And David's like, hey, how are you guys doing? Look at all the plunder we have. And the troublemakers are like, no, 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 no. We're not sharing this. We're not going to share the plunder we recovered. These guys can have their women, their 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 family back. They can have their wives and their kids, and that's it. They they, they should be happy with that, and they should go. Now this was. Uh, this was a big deal right now because culturally, this was fully acceptable. The 400 men are the ones that took the risk. They're the ones that, that went the extra day without food. They're the ones who battled for 24 hours. They're the ones who killed all but 400 men and all those guys left. But the principle of heaven is what's going to be spoken here. This is something that I think, you know, for David, this was this was all about connection again to God. 
He had spent a year and a half disconnected. Now, it wasn't God's fault that he was disconnected. David had David had chosen not to connect to heaven because David was like, I need to be in charge of my process now. And whenever you take charge of your own process, God's like, all right, I'm not leaving, but, you know, this is your choice. And David, David is... Um, reconnected right he's restored his his worship is back the goodness of god is back the hope is back and and david's passion for this is i just he's like no my brothers he doesn't he doesn't condemn them he calls them brothers he's like come on guys work together in this you can't do that with what the lord has given us he protected us he delivered us and he came against, he came alongside of us. All of those things, which again looks like he's being manipulative. This is this is spoken from a from an aspect of gratitude. He goes, let's look at how the how God showed up. Let's look at the goodness of God in our lives that has happened to us. We'll just stick with today. Then he then he says, So who will listen to what you say? The share of the men who stayed behind with the supplies is the same as him who went out into battle. All will share it and share it alike. Because that's what God does. God says everyone is of equal value. I don't disperse blessings more to one than to the other. Anyone has the full authority of heaven behind them. They have the full authority. The fullness of God is within you. That's that's the way Jesus says it. The mind of Christ, we all have it. The new nature, we all got it. David's like, you. God does not distribute things a little bit here and a little bit there and more here and more there. That's the way of man. And we're not going to go that way. We're distributing it equally, everyone. And this became a principle of David's entire governing all the way through his, the, you know, all the way through his, uh, the kingship. And another, you know, is the principle of Solomon as well. Everyone who goes to war comes back and shares the spoils equally with everybody who stayed behind. Everybody who, you know, all the cooks in the kitchen and the supply sergeants and, and the uh, transportation, uh, uh, boy, I don't want to say commission. What do I want to say? Transportation pool. There you go. Everybody gets equal share in this. And David was so loved by his men that they gave him more. And David took all that he had and he shared it. He shared it like there was, listen, there was so much plunder from this particular raid, from this particular battle, so much plunder that that there's a list of cities and regions that David sent wealth to, that he blessed. And all the places that he and his men had ever been during this, during their, their stay in the wilderness, this seven years, plus a year and a half in the Philistine, in the Philistine territory, but Everywhere for the seven years that they had been in the wilderness of Judah and Israel, 
David sent them all gifts. And I, I can't help but think it's because David is, is believing in his heart. We're not staying in the, with the Philistines anymore. We're going back to our country. Even if it means wandering in the wilderness, we can't stay here. My plan uh, was not a good plan. This is the humility of leadership. This is, this is the essence of gratitude. This is the, the proper view of those who work with you. David is, is totally getting himself in alignment with heaven. Now, do I think God, God uh, orchestrated the loss of everything so David would come to a point where he just collapsed? He collapses and and finally calls out to God? No, I don't think God orchestrated that. But I do think it's the results of the choices that David had made. And it just brought him to a very low point, which is where you end up when you're not staying in connection with heaven, when you're not staying with connection with the God who's with you all the time. It brings you to a low point, and he got there. And when he got there, he did the right thing, unlike Saul, who in the previous podcast, right, Saul lands on his face in fear and more confusion and self-rejection and self-doubt, and he refuses to hear the voice of God, not refuses as in I won't listen to you, but he can't hear it. He, he's so blocked by everything. David ends up on his face in the next in the next chapter, ends up on his face in absolute depression, feeling lost and rejection, uh, re- rejected. And his response is, I'm going to strengthen myself in the Lord. I will start back at the beginning, and I'm going to rehearse in my mind all the places that God has has showed up. I'm going to do nothing but speak of the goodness of God in my life. And how do we enter into the courts of thanksgiving, or uh, into into heaven's courts? We enter it with thanksgiving, and we enter his courts of praise. Winter his gates with thanksgiving in his in his course of praise. He's like, this is it. And so with thanksgiving in his heart, he begins to open the gates of heaven. And with praise in his heart, he's in the courtroom of heaven again. Or not courtroom, but courtyard of heaven. And he and it's so clear to him. He sees heaven clearly. He goes out into battle. He feels hope. He feels life. He feels he feels a purpose and identity. They win the battle. They come back. He's like making decisions in alignment with the character and and essence of heaven, the character of God and the essence of heaven. This is who David is. And when he's all done and, and all of his wealth is laid out in front of him, all this livestock, all this money, he looks at it and he says, we need to be thankful to the city, to the towns, to the regions that took care of us in the wilderness. And he sends it, he sends them all a gift. He piles it onto donkeys that they've captured, onto horses and zebras and camels, and he's like, grabs servants or whatever, attendants, and he goes, you need to take this to this city, take this to this town, take it, to, I know this guy, take it to this guy, take it to this guy, take it to this guy. Everybody's going to know that God has been blessing me, and I'm grateful for the way that God blesses me, and this is the way we're going to operate. We're going to operate in generosity. We're going to operate in abundance. It doesn't matter that literally our town was burned to the ground. We are not going to hoard things. We're not going to, we're not going to become uh, of a slave mentality. 
What do slaves do? Slaves hoard everything. Slaves save everything in hopes that, you know, not in hopes, but in with the mindset that, well, we might need it someday. It might be worth something someday. I might run out and I'll need more. David's like, no, we're going to operate in generosity. We're just going to give it all away. We're going to give it to people who are kind to us. We're going to give it to people who helped us. We're going to give it away because we are grateful, generous people because that is the heart of God. That is the atmosphere of heaven. And I just feel so excited that I'm connected there again. This is a fabulous story because David lost so much, but he gained so much more. And we get to do the same thing every day. Every day we can gain more. We don't have to lose to gain. But if you did, it's okay because there's more. The resources of heaven are never ending. And those resources dwell within you. Tap into them. Become aware of them. Start with an, start with gratitude and see where God's shows up. See how his perspective begins to rule your life. It'll change the way you, you handle everything. It'll change your relationship and how you handle problems and how you handle your riches. Oh, God is good. God is good. And this story continues to amaze me. Oh, I hope you're enjoying it too. We'll see you next week. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys.